good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Four Corners Church. You met us in the last week of our We're Rich message series, where we're looking at the ways that God has blessed us and uh, how he has given us wisdom to manage what he's blessed us with. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to talk with you on a very practical level about why I think you should be motivated to jump deeply into managing your money as wisely and as fruitfully as possible. And since I can't tell you specifically why you should necessarily do those things, like the deep reason why in a very personal way you should manage yours, what I'd like to do instead is tell you why Jill and I a few years ago got very serious about our money, why we did that. We started getting older and there were some realities that we were facing that caused us to dive in deeply and look at the things that God had blessed us with and what we wanted to do with them. All right. Now, the reason why I want to talk to you about the motivation is, is I have this operational assumption that says this. If you understand why, then what you have to do gets easier. If you understand why, the what gets easier. I, I notice this as a parent. When I tell my kids, here's what you're going to do, I get a certain return on that. But as they've gotten older, as they've gained their own personality, had their own thoughts, I found that Jill and I get further in our parenting when we take time to explain, now here's why we're going to do what we say we're going to do. And when we have the why coupled with the what, it makes more sense, all right? And that's what we've been trying to really do this whole message series. We're going to drive, dive down even deeper today. The other powerful thing about why, if you understand why we're doing something, is, is that you don't have to have as many rules. In our house, we have to have rules when people don't do the right things at the right times. They don't do the what's well. They don't do the what's in a timely manner. So what we have to do sometimes is create certain rules. Rules to make sure that things get done. So we have like a rule in our house. Maybe you guys have similar rules that, um, you know, if you get done with the dish, you've eaten a snack or something, it goes in the sink. And the reason we had to make that rule is because people weren't naturally putting their dishes away, right? We, we have a rule in our house, no electronics upstairs. It's just a rule we have to manage um, the information coming into our house. And the reason we had to do that is because it's very easy when the phone is in the pocket or you've got your laptop to take it upstairs. And that puts my kids in a position I don't want them to be in. And so these are just rules we have to manage things because naturally we don't always do the right thing. But here's, here's a cool thing. When you understand why we do something, when you buy into the why that you do something, it makes it a whole lot easier to trust the person who understands the why to do the right stuff. When why is fully embraced, we don't need as many rules. And so I'm calling this talk today, No Rules, Just Right. No Rules, Just Right. When it comes to money, here's what most people are afraid of. That the church is somehow just after bigger checks from you. And that's simply not the case. I don't know about other churches. Maybe they were. I don't know about the guys on TV. Perhaps they are. I don't know. But in this church, what we want is for you to take the stuff God has blessed you with, manage it incredibly well. But I want you to understand why that is. And it's the why that caused Jill and I to get very serious about managing our money, all right? The money that God has blessed us with. One more operational assumption here is that your life was given to you. 
When I realized this, that my life was given to me by God, and then living my life is the adventure I get to do with God, that begins to change everything because everything that I have, everything you have, really is a gift from God. And when you begin to see things differently, then you can act differently. We're back to that same point. When you understand why we want to do something, it makes what we have to do easier. When you can see the bigger picture, it makes the individual parts make sense. And it gets a little easier to do the right things. Now, I'm not making this principle up of the why and understanding the bigger picture. Uh, This gets right to the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 23. The words will be on the screen, or you can go to your your leather-bound Bible there, or to your iPad or your iPhone, and you can follow with me along in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at Jesus' words, and then we'll talk about why I think you should drill down deeply on managing your money very, very well, all right? Matthew chapter 6, here's what the Bible says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. These are Jesus' words, so if you have the old kind of Bible, the words are in red, all right? Which means they carry a little extra weight, (laughs) All right, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. So earth is where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, all right, because things on earth are temporary. Over time, they lose their value. Over time, things can happen. So the opposite then is, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, there's an interesting phrase. These are the words of Jesus. They're not that complicated to understand, but they have massive implication. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there too. Where there is an, an inextricable connection between your heart and your treasure. Those are Jesus' words. It's not, you don't need to be a theologian to understand that. But here, here's the point I want us to acknowledge for just a moment. That there is incredible power then in understanding what's in your heart. What do you really want? What's really going on inside of here? Now, this is the kind of stuff you talk about at church that you almost never talk about anywhere else. When people say to me, why should I go to church? Do I really have to go to church to go to heaven? And I say to them, well, of course you do. Of course. I mean, you can't. No, you, you know that's not true, right? You know you don't have to go to church. But the truth is, theologically, biblically speaking, if we hold the Bible as as the authoritative word of God, God wants every single person on earth connected to his son, Jesus. We all get that. But he also wants them connected to the bride of Jesus, which is the church. If you said to me, Ben, I love you. You're awesome. I mean, you're fantastic. You're so bright, articulate, funny, handsome, young looking, all those wonderful things. And if you said that to me, I'd love you. But if you, then if the next phrase out of your mouth was, but I can't stand your wife. She is such a disappointment. Now, my esteem of you drops dramatically. And as much as I like the fact you like me, I don't have much room in my life for you because we're a, a package deal. Now, as ugly as it is, Jesus is the one that God wants to be connected to. But he also wants every single person connected to his church. That's just the truth. Now, because church can be messy, sometimes that's hard to embrace. But the truth is, is God's plan for you is he wants you connected to his son and to his church. And one of the reasons why people should come to church is because at church, you have the kinds of conversations we're having that you don't have anywhere else or rarely have anywhere else. 
I mean, I don't remember going to school talking about what's going on in the value system of my heart. I don't remember sitting around often with friends. It's happened occasionally, but I've had to get incredibly intentional about it, having conversations about what's going on in my heart. My wife and I have a whole slew of activities going to be happening this weekend, all of them valid, good, fun, refreshing. We're going to spend time with people we love and enjoy. But we're probably not going to go very deep in the conversation as we're sitting around sipping our drinks and eating whatever food we probably shouldn't be eating as we blow our diets. But we're going to be having a great time, but we're probably not. This is why church is important, because it's at church you get to say to yourselves, I'm going to carve out time to talk about what's really important, what's going on in here. Because, here's the why, because Jesus said what's going on in here is going to show up everywhere. In one place, Jesus says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So we should probably ask, what's going on in here? And in this passage, Jesus says, what's going on in here is intricately connected to your treasure. There is a chain between your heart and your wallet, fellas. There is. Between your heart and your purse. Because wherever your treasure is, your heart is there. The other thing is, is wherever you put your treasure, your heart tends to go there. These are just the words of Jesus. Let's keep reading what he says, though. We're just reading the very next verse. I'm not stringing things together. And then he says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? He's saying, look, you get this biologically. If your eyes are broken, you don't see. But he says that there's a way of looking at the world that either can illuminate the world and you in the world or keep you in an incredibly great darkness. So again, at church, where we don't do this in other places, we get to talk about how do I see the world? What are the big picture? What's my role in the world? Do I have an illuminated perspective of my spot in the world, of the world itself, of the God over the world? So Jesus is arguing here that our hearts, first of all, are very important. And secondly, how we see ourselves is very important. We're, we're, I promise we're going somewhere to why with your money in a second. Then he says the very next words. So in Jesus' mind, by the way, as we read these words, these next words are connected to the words in front of them. All right? We're not stringing together several passages. We're just reading right through. Then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either will he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or in, in the old uh, translation uh, before the Bible was translated to English, that is, God and mammon, which is just a way of saying money. You can't serve the two. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart is, but be careful because you can't literally serve God and money. So Jill and I are married um, pretty young. We're in our 20s. And um, she's considerably older than I am. But uh, I'm joking. She's just a little bit older than me. And, 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 and we're serious about life and we're full of promise and we're eager to get started, and we've got big hopes and dreams, and about four years into our marriage, we realized we were making some major mistakes as we started having more bills than we had money. And you would think that that information alone would have caused us to come to a screeching halt and get a whole handle on it, but it did not. In fact, we didn't get serious about our money until much later. 
we started wrestling with the reality of the world around us and what was in our hearts. And when we plumbed the depths of our hearts, we came up, we got an idea, a perspective. I'm looking for my pens here. Give me a second. They're over here. We got an idea or a perspective that really began to influence us, and I just want to put it on the board here for you. All right? It's the idea of a kingdom dream. Jill and I wanted to do something with our lives. And we started thinking and talking about the impact our lives could make. We wanted, for instance, just to give you a kind of list of the top five or six things that were important to us, we wanted to have a good marriage. We wanted to have the kind of marriage that other people would look at, and they wouldn't say we're perfect because that's ridiculous. But they would say, now there's a pretty normal couple who has a pretty great relationship. Not problem-free, not argument-free, not difficulty-free, not road-bump-free. I mean, you can get all the metaphors, but a pretty good marriage. And we kind of set that as a, as, a, as a value for us. We said we wanted to be pretty good parents. Pretty good parents don't mean that you have perfect kids, but it means you've got a pretty healthy dialogue going on at home, and you're into a development mode with your kids, and things are pretty intentional, and you're helping them manage things, and you're safeguarding what should be safeguarding, and freeing what should be freeing as best as you can. And at the end of the day, the values of God are being transmitted to our kids. We want it to be pretty good parents. And this motivated a lot of what we did, of what we said yes and no to. Because we had a deep-seated why, a deep-seated value in our hearts. So Jill and I, when it comes to marriage and parenting, there are various things we've done and not done so that we would protect those things. We've said to our kids, you can be involved in some sports, but you won't be involved in all sports. Because all sports disintegrates really what we're trying to do with family anyway. And so we watched other people around us make other kinds of decisions. And I'm not picking on sports, just an example. Other kinds of decisions where sports seems to dictate the family routine. And we said sports would never dictate our family routine. Instead, sports would be a part of our family routine because we have a bigger why than you being great at sports. We have other things as a family we want to do. We started saying that we would not talk about um, each other. Jill and I would not talk about each other in negative ways to other people because we had a big why we were trying to, talk, to protect. We were talking bad about each other to each other. Right, not to you. And we would do that because we had a deep-seated why in our hearts, and that then began. And so we had to make much less rules about the way to treat each other because the why became well-known. But then we had a kingdom dream, something we wanted to do with our lives. We wanted God to use our lives to make a dramatic difference in people. Now, for the next you know, several minutes as we're together, I'm in an awkward gray area for me. Because I have to, in order to show you that I'm trying to live up to the very things I'm trying to get you to live up to, I have to kind of pull back the curtain on my private life a bit. And, and I don't mind doing that on one level. On another level, it makes me very concerned. Because I'm not supposed to, the scripture says, do my works of righteousness before people so that I could get the applause of people. I'm supposed to do them before my heavenly father who sees what I do in secret and then rewards me openly. But I think it's important for you to understand that the guy on the stage encouraging this congregation is attempting to live the very things that we're talking about. I read this passage with, in my studies early. Jill and I read this passage early in our marriage, and a couple of things jumped out at us. Uh, one, one of the first ones here on the screen, it says that we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So that whatever is in my heart begins to impact the way I see things. If my eyes aren't right, I can't have the right information. 
So when we read this passage, we begin to realize that it's what's really going on in us that causes us to see the world around us. It's not just the stuff happening to us. It's the values in my heart by which I interpret the things around me that impacts the way I value and see the world around me. And we really, really wanted God to make a difference through our lives in the kingdom of God in this earth. And so if that's true, then when it comes to money, I've talked a little bit about parenting and marriage. We don't, Jill and I don't see money as it is. We see money as we are. Now, this was a problem for us because at this point in our marriage, money wasn't going well. That was just, you know, simple. Took us years to recover once we got serious. Money wasn't going well. And the big area where it showed up was right here. We wanted to do something dramatic with our lives in the kingdom of God. We thought, we thought God had put us on this earth for a purpose. And everywhere we turned and started making decisions about that, money was getting in the way. And not money in general. The way we had managed money was beginning to close doors. The way we had valued money had begun to close doors that we had hoped would be, would be, would be open to us as we thought about what would be the impact we would make in this world. What would we spend our lives on? And so we had to get very serious about what really the purpose of money is. We had to figure out the big why around money. Why did God bless us with more than we need? There was a the question we wrestled with. Why did God bless Ben and Jill with more than they need? And then number two, why did they act like they never had enough? Now, you know what motivated us to ask that question was because we were starting to be driven by, we want to do something with our lives. Something more, something bigger, something awesome. And that began to motivate us. It began to drive us. And we identified three purposes, biblical purposes, for God blessing us with money. So number one was, is God wants to meet our needs. And number two, God wanted to bless us by meeting some of our wants. Now, there was a lot of discussion for us. What was the difference in our family between our needs and wants? Because I need new and nice stuff. I need it. And by the way, my kids, they need a lot. You have kids, you, you have a spouse who needs a lot. An important discussion we had to make as we thought about what is the big impact we're going to make in our life? How is money closing doors? How is money creating stress? How is money grabbing our attention in our family? We had to make a distinction between if God's given us more than we need, then what do we need? And what's the difference between our needs and our wants? And what's God's heart on our wants? So we landed on this. God wants to meet our needs. Do not worry about the things that you have need of. Your heavenly Father knows you need these and more. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of his right way of living life and these things and everything else will be added to you. Became, that became a mantra for me. In fact, if you get a correspondence for me, I sign every one of my correspondence, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. You know where that came from? a time of deep introspection about what was going on in my heart as I looked at the purpose of my life because I was getting distracted by stuff. And so Jill and I had to really wrestle, what's the difference between needs and wants? I need cable. Just an example. Really? I really need cable. We've been out without cable for three years. We worked backwards the math on that the other day and how much money we saved. It's into the thousands of dollars. Why? Is cable wrong? No. See, there's the wrong question. It's 
What is your purpose? What are you shooting for? What is the why of your heart? What is your What do you want to do with your life? And once you figure that out, then tackling these bigger issues gets easier to tackle. God wants to meet my needs. He wants to establish and give me some of my wants. It's okay to have nice stuff, but nice stuff can't drive you. But here was the big one for us. God wants to with money. He wants to fund a kingdom dream. He wants to give you money in part so that your life can make a difference. And not just for you. This is about his heart for people and the world. So if this was true, that God wants to meet my needs, some of my wants, and he wants to let me give me the desire of my heart, which is to make a difference in this world for his glory, for his honor, to see people's lives changed by the power of the gospel as Jill and I try to walk it out as best we can in front of people and with people, then what would this mean? As I read this passage that we read, I realized I needed to get some corrective lenses. That my eyesight was wrong and it was affecting the way I was looking at the world and my money and my role in it. So here's just a few things that we had to wrestle with. Number one, I'm really not the owner. I'm the manager. God is the owner. So here's the pronoun shift number one. It's not my money. And that's a problem until you get the God role right. Either God is God over all of my life or he's not. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I did. God is God of all of my life. He really is the Lord of the universe, but Lord of all the universe of me too, or he's not. And so we established early on, we're not going to get it always right, but we're going to establish this one thing. God is God of all, including my money which means it's not mine, the best I can say about the money is is I get to manage what God's blessed me with. Now, this changes perspective. If it's mine, then nobody can tell me what to do. If it's God's, then God gets to tell me what to do. It was that simple for me. Number two. This is a big one for us. Money is not the goal. Obedience with money also is the only way to achieve the real goal. I can't do money the way God tells me not to do money and expect me to get to the places God wants me to get to with money. I have to do it God's way. And so God tells me, for instance, these are things that we're dealing with with Financial Peace University. Over 100 people checked through and signed up. We had like 80-something here the other night. Incredible. Way to go. Way to go. I'm so proud of this congregation. But when we, when we thought about this, we had to realize that for ourselves, money was not the goal, and we couldn't get to the goal, I'm going to tell you the goal in a minute, until we did it God's way. So, for instance, in the Proverbs, we can't be riddled with debt and expect to be able to achieve a kingdom dream. Because if I get an opportunity, but the first thing I have to think about is whether or not I can afford it because I've got so many credit card payments that I'm not really walking in full availability to what God wants to do with my life. I had to get my credit cards under control so I could be open to be used by God however he wants to use me. Now, let's see what this did for us. Because we had now a why, it was still difficult to get credit cards under control. But now I'm deeply motivated by something that's more important to me than cable TV and the newest and the best. I like cars. I love cars. When I am at a red light and a nice car pulls up next to me, I start breaking commandments. 
I do. I mean, I go right for the top ten, and they're just like, boom, boom. I'm clicking through them. You know, I'm, I'm coveting. I'm having other gods. I'm thinking about killing somebody. You know, who can I sleep with to get this car? It's bad. It's really bad. But once I established, you know, began to establish, planted in my art, let it grow, that really I can't do money my way. I have to do it God's way to get to God's goal. Things like then managing debt isn't an option for me. It's a matter of obedience. And when I put off obedience, when I delay obedience, you know what this is? We have this rule in our home. Delayed obedience is not delayed obedience. That's a fancy way of saying disobedience. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you where we are. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed dealing with my debt, getting my debt in line, is really disobedience to the lordship of Jesus in my life. This is not a matter of dollars and cents anymore. Now it's a matter of discipleship. Where else do you get to talk about this kind of stuff? Who else is going to challenge you to put Jesus first in your life, really? This is one of the reasons why church is so important. Why the gospel, the word of God is so powerful because it deals with this stuff. So some corrective lenses. I'm not the owner, I'm the manager. It's God's stuff. Money's not the goal, but I can't get to the goal if I don't do it God's way. I have to be a hard worker. The Bible talks about the sluggard who doesn't want to work. The Bible says the person who doesn't want to work, and I'm not trying to be political here. I'm talking to followers of Jesus, not the country, all right? we got politics all over the place these days. Ugh. Right? Ugh. That's all I'm going to say about that. Followers of Jesus don't need that kind of ambiguity. The Bible tells us what to do. For followers of Jesus who won't work, the Bible says they should not eat. That's Bible. That's not politics. And that's not for the world. It's only for followers of Jesus. So I don't get an option of being a lazy man who won't work and provide for my family. I don't, but it's not an issue of necessity only. It's an issue of the word of God and the lordship of Jesus in my life. And nobody else is responsible for the stewardship of my life and resources but me. I can blame everybody, but it's my responsibility given to, my, to me by God. So then what is the goal? The goal, the real goal of money, this was a corrective lens I had to put on in order to see rightly, was that God wants to fund my kingdom dream. He wants, he's put something in my heart that he wants my life to be about. And, and my hunch is, is he's done that for you as well. Maybe you've not thought about it. Today is a call to think about what did God put you here for anyway? If God wants to do something dramatic with your life, and he does, you can be sure that the enemy of God would like to keep you from ever thinking about it if you think about it. He'd like to keep you from ever doing it. And if you do do it, he'd like to prevent you from doing it fully. And his number one tactic, his number one tool, is money. It is. It destroys marriages. It makes families fight when people die. Money. But you know what I discovered, apart from all of that, too often, I have underfunded God's kingdom dream for me because I was too busy funding another dream, my own The stuff I did with my money wasn't wrong. It's that I wasn't doing, doing this, the kingdom dream. We were doing other stuff, which is understandable. 
But when Jill and I got very serious about obeying God fully with our money, and we started deeply thinking about the kingdom dream, we started seeing some things change. Let me show you how this works. We talked about the change diagram a few weeks ago, but here's the deal. Here's this box, this environment in which we're beginning to think. Here's our life coming into the box. So we're just going along. But now the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict us. And people around us are talking about important things. And those things are landing in soft spots in our hearts. And we're thinking about it. And we're praying about it. And we're considering it. So now what we have to do is we're in a moment of decision. So what we have to do is we have to change. Because this box represents things that we had to stop doing in order to make room for the things that we were starting to do. They call this, by the way, the inflection point. That's the moment when you say, oh my goodness, I'm going to change some stuff. We need to. Somebody should. And we all have these moments. We should do that. I should get my degree done. I should press into this thing. I should make that phone call. I should manage this thing better. We all feel this. But the problem is, if we don't change and go in a slightly different direction, we don't create any room to actually do anything differently. So we begin to do things differently. We begin to say no to stuff. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? No. It's easy for me to say that to you. No. You know who it's hard to? To look at the guy in the mirror. That guy in the mirror is incredibly difficult to deal with. He doesn't like no. He likes yes. He loves the change he's bringing. He doesn't like the change that anybody else or life or kingdom dream might be imposing on him. So let me show you how this works. This is awkward. I'm just going to go ahead and everybody watch me. One day, we will get this worked out where I will be able to. There we go. All right. Let me show you this little chart up here. Here's what this chart talks about. This is going to describe for you the challenge that we're all facing. This, just to define the quadrants, this is high invitation or high engagement. This is you really want to do something or you really want other people to do something. And the door is wide open. A lot of people are invited in to be a part of this. This is the idea of God's kingdom dream for you. Everybody has a purpose that God wants them to fulfill. And there's an enemy that doesn't want you to. And there's the battle. This down here is low invitation or low engagement. That is, um, it's, very, it, it, it's very restricted. Not a lot of people can do it. Or if they do do it, they're not highly motivated. All right? High engagement, low engagement. Low challenge. High challenge. These are the differ, difficult conversations, the difficult choices, that inflection point that if you're actually going to make a difference, you've got to do differently to make a difference. Now, this is how these things intersect. I'm deeply motivated, but i got a difficult challenge. That's quadrant number one right here. I'm highly motivated, and it's a difficult thing to do. So this is going to require some discipline. We keep coming back to this word, Discipline which is the root word, which is the primary mission of this church. Jesus gave us our mission, and he said, go into all the world and make disciples. You know who disciples are? You know what that word means? We are disciplined to follow the lordship of Jesus. I'm highly motivated, but I've got a big challenge. I have to leverage my money to achieve the goal of God for my life, to do his dream for me. To do that is going to require some discipline. Let's look at the other challenges, though, the other, the other quadrants, all right? Let's talk about low engagement. 
but high challenge. I know I have a high challenge, and I know Ben is right, but I'm not very motivated, or I'm not really engaging it. I've kind of stepped in, but I'm not really going to go all the way. Let me tell you where this is going to leave you. It's going to leave you stressed, because what's going to happen is, is you're going to feel the pull of the challenge that you know is right, but if you don't engage it over time, the stress factor will go up. This is why some people drop out of church, by the way. Pastors, church leaders, small group leaders talk about important things, but we're not really ready to do it. And we know we should. And so what happens is our stress levels rise. This is why people begin diets, but don't finish them. Stress levels rise. I'm deeply challenged it's the right thing, but I'm not fully on board. All right? Let's just define the other challenges and talk about what we should do. Let's talk about the, the low challenge, low engagement. This is easy. If, if you're not very challenged, you think it's not that important, this is the person maybe who's listening to me saying, I don't care about a kingdom dream. Like, I don't care. Just I want to get through the day. Low challenge. And uh, they're, then they're not very involved. And what happens here is just apathy. It doesn't matter. Boredom, right? This happens sometimes when you bring a guest to church with you. We're talking about the most important thing in the world. You're sitting there going, God, I hope they're listening, but it's not falling on soft soil. And so they're kind of bored about it. I mean, they're just not on board with what we're talking about. The, the other thing that happens in a church like ours a lot is high engagement. Everybody's invited, blah, 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 and the challenges are low. We do this with intentionality, and there's a certain coziness. So we say, hey, you don't really like church or whatever. Come on our big day coming our big day because what we're going to do is we're going to invite everybody, but really you're just coming to hang out and eat some food with me. That's really all you're doing. And so we're going to have a nice little cozy time. Now, what they don't know, it's a straight up bait and switch. <laughs> eat some food. You know, Jill and I are inviting a few people. We're going to buy their lunch. We're going to make a $30, $40 investment that day into the kingdom of God. And we're, they're, they're thinking to, they're going to have a cozy, but when they get in here, I'm going to hit them with the gospel which simply says we're sinners, we need a savior. We're going to talk about it through the lens of parenting. Good God, most of us need some saving in parenting. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. So, now here's what happens. Here's what happens. Like in a church, but even with your money, we start kind of here. Hey, yeah, I kind of like to, you know, think about money a little bit. But we're not even really, we don't even really know where we fully are, maybe. We're not really surely fully aware of our situation. You know, most people don't really know where they are financially, and that's why they don't manage well. They don't even know. I kind of know, but they don't really know. To help us do that, by the way, there were some blank notebook cards on your seat. You can find those in just a second or now. Blank ones, the white ones. Write down, 30 seconds or less, your total debt load minus your house. Total, no names. Total debt load minus your house. I'd love for you to do that and drop them in the offering bucket. We're just going to get a total for the congregation. No name, just a debt load. You know, 35K or whatever. Average American household, $28,000 in consumer debt. That's not cars or mortgage. Ouch. But most of us don't even know. So if you're like struggling to know, there's a problem. Right? I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed. But that's a problem. But what we're doing is, is we're cozy. Yeah, I'm on board, but I don't really feel any great compulsion. And here's what happens. We begin to feel the pull of the challenge in front of us. And for me and Jill, it was God wants to use our lives and money's getting in the way. We can't blame anybody else but us and God has shown us how to do this. So now we begin to think about we're moving from cozy 
and distressed. We're feeling the tension, but we're not deeply engaged yet. We're occasionally engaged. We're Sunday morning engaged. We're at the end of the month engaged, but we're not really engaged. Anybody tracking with me at all? You see this? Like, I feel it. I know it's right, but I'm not fully there. And here's what happens. There has to be a point of change. And we begin to turn now and do this. This is the normal path for most people before they experience any real change in their life. I'm kind of there, but I'm feeling pretty good. It's not really a big deal. But now I'm starting to feel. I'm pulling towards the challenge in front of me. But I'm not 100% on board with engaging everything I could engage. There are entire pockets that aren't open for discussion. I want my marriage to be better, but I'm not going to change me. I'm going to change her. So I'm feeling the stress of this thing. Life's happening, but nothing really changes until we make the turn here and we begin to go back up towards discipline. This is why the word of God isn't ambiguous about money so much. God doesn't want the number one competitor for your heart and mine to be something he's unclear about. So he says, it's all mine. I'm going to loan you some to manage so you can meet your needs. Some of your wants, of course, not all of them, but ultimately there's a kingdom dream I want to fund with you. And we had to move from kind of a cozy existence as Jesus followers who were kind of there, and it was okay that we were there and began there, to feeling some real stress, not about life and wanting more money, but not doing all that God had put in front of us. That was what motivated us. It's what's motivated us in our parenting and in our marriage not to give up. We're not done with God's purpose in our marriage or with our kids. And we're not done with God's purpose in our money. So now we have to turn. And to get there, it requires discipline. But you're not alone. God says his Holy Spirit will be there. And he'll help us and he'll empower us. He doesn't rain down money from heaven. What he does is he gives you a clear image of what you can be and do. A conductor of an orchestra has a musical score. A builder has a blueprint And a disciple has a kingdom dream that God puts in your heart about what he can do through your life for the kingdom of God, for his glory and for your good. And that thing gets us clarity on where he wants to take us. So let me just ask you a simple question. Do you have clarity about what God wants to, let's click through a few categories, what God wants to do with your married situation? I'm single, what does God want to do? Do you have clarity? I'm married, what does God want to do? Do you have clarity? If not, this is your tension point. This is your inflection moment. What are you going to stop doing so you can start thinking about that? Where are you going to free up some time if it's time? Where are you going to get rid of distraction if it's distraction? Where are you going to deal with sin if it's sin that's eclipsing the voice of God pulling you towards his full purpose for your life? What are you going to do about your parenting if you're a parent? It's important. We're going to explore that deeply beginning our big day for four weeks. We're going to talk about what, what if you're a parent of adult kids? What if you're a person who is a son who has parents and that's not going well, or son or daughter? What if you have young kids? What if you have teenagers? How does parenting change? We're going to explore all this. We're going to explore God's heart on the matter of parenting. The reason is, is we're trying to get people from stop being so cozy down to feeling some of the stress so they can start walking as a disciple when it comes to parenting. But as 
to be as on point as we can be for this message series. Here's our last question. Your marital situation, your parenting situation, and ultimately, what does God want to do with your money situation? Where is he calling you to? And for what purpose? Because I believe he'd like to meet your needs, some of your wants, and I think he'd like to use your money to fund a kingdom dream so that your life can be wide open, used by God to make a difference in this world. And some of you won't get there until you handle the money he's on, given to you on loan a little bit better than you are. And my heart in you for this is not in any way you know, corrective or parental. It's pastoral. That's my role. I want you to think deeply about what God would like to do in your life with money. How does he want to use the money he's blessed you with to bless the world, to bless your family, to bless those in need, to contribute deeply to his work? These are the kinds of questions that when you begin to ask them, you're dealing with what's going on in here, not what's going on. My wallet's not here. I was going to pull it out and show you. Next service, put the wallet in the pocket. (laughs) But what's going on in your wallet? It's not about your checkbook. It's about your heart. What do you want? Once you figure that out, as a disciple, you have to ask a second question. What does God want? And is there a gap there between what I want and what he wants? All series long for four weeks, every day I prayed this prayer. God, would you take this conversation about money and make it less about dollars and cents and make it more about your kingdom in our hearts? Would you do that? And I think obviously he is. I mean, 70 or so of you showed up to do FPU. Others of you didn't need to or couldn't this time, but you're pressing in, you're taking steps. I think we're at our inflection moment where God's asking us to deeply consider his purpose in our life with money. And I'm so grateful you've gone on the last four weeks journey with us. In just a moment, in just a moment, we're going to take out our Connect card, but let me tell you what's coming next week. We're in between our big day and the end of this series. The series is over now, and I'm going to share with you where our church is going and why next Sunday after on the big day is so important. So if you show up next week, we're going to kind of have a family talk, and I'm going to update you on a lot of very, very cool things that we don't normally talk about on Sunday morning. And I want to show you for those of you that make a financial investment here, exactly how that gift is making a difference. Now, with that said, why don't you grab out your Connect card, and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. As you're doing that, let me sincerely express my appreciation to you for going on this journey the last four weeks with us, to think deeply about money and God's heart towards us and money. And I pray that this conversation in your heart and mind in your home would continue. On Tuesday night, my wife and daughter were at FPU working through stuff. My daughter's young and hasn't made all the mistakes yet that we've made, and we'd like to prevent that. And so getting her that exposure is very important to us because we want her to be free to do all that God wants to do in her life. And the reason for that is we believe that Jesus is the most important thing in the world, which takes us right to next step A. If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, next step A on your Connect card says this, today I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior and Lord. If you don't have a relationship with him, let me just tell you what this means. It means that you eat a little humble pie and agree with what the Bible says about you. You're a sinner in need of a savior. That you've done things and avoided things that displease God and bring damage to you. 
God wants to forgive that. And he's offered to do that through his son, Jesus, who gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the dead. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus and secure a relationship with God. He doesn't just want to forgive your sin about the past. He wants to lead your life. And so the biblical word for that is Savior about the past and Lord. He's the leader of your life. He gets to set the agenda. If you'd like to do that, I'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A. As a sign of faith that you're going to accept Jesus in a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. and You can use your words or mine and ask God to wash away your sins by his shed blood from the cross and become the Lord of your life. And we'd ask you to put that card in the offering bucket at the end of our service as it passes by. Here's next step B. Today, I'm choosing to be baptized. This is where we celebrate the decisions that people made. If you've not yet gone public with your faith and declared that I'm not ashamed to be with Jesus, check that box. We'll answer your questions, get you signed up. And right here on our stage, we'll baptize you. And this family here will encourage you and celebrate all that God's doing in your life. Here's next step C. How about praying this prayer with me every day this week as a way of keeping this conversation going? God, show me how you want me to use your money starting today. In that little one-sentence prayer, we're acknowledging that God gets to set the agenda, that it's his money and you have a responsibility and you can't keep putting it off. God, show me how you want me to use your money starting today, every morning. Here's next step D. Who would say, I'll take a definitive step towards obeying the Lord with my money starting today? I don't know what your step needs to be, but I bet as we were talking, something came to mind. What is your step? You can either write it down or not. I don't care. But I want to pray with you that you will actually take your step starting today. And here's next step B. Who will join with me and invite a friend to force these food truck rally, which is two Sundays away? Here's how Jill and I are doing it. Hey, come with me. We'd like to buy your lunch. You know, Four Corners doesn't have $80,000 to buy everybody lunch. Right? That's about what we would spend. So we don't have that. So what Jill and I are doing, we're going to make a $30, $40 investment, invite a couple couples. We're giving our kids $5 each for each one of their friends that come. So we're making a financial investment. We couldn't have done that 25 years ago. We didn't have it. But managing our money gives us an opportunity to do that kind of investment. Once you figure out how you're going to do it and invite somebody, let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you have blessed us with money. And most of us in this room, not everybody, most of us have more than we need. And yet we're not fully walking with you in obedience. So God, I pray rather than condemnation, rather than guilt and shame, rather than anger, the reality that you've blessed us with more than we need would pull us to ask a simple question. God, why? Why do I have more than I need? And what do you want me to do about it? Lord, I want to join with those right now that are, that are saying, today I begin to take obedience with money more seriously. I do it today. I want to join with those that are saying, God, beginning today, we're going to begin to follow you as the Lord of our money. And it starts today. And I want to thank you, Lord, for those that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sins. Cover me by your blood. I want you to lead my life. I'll follow you. God, we pray in advance of all those folks you're going to bring to our church in two weeks, that they would hear with clarity that we love them, that you love them, and that you want a relationship with them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen.